Hey everyone, my name is Kurt Frankham and I'm a entrepreneur in the uh, Salt Lake Wasatch Front area. And I had the opportunity to, to interview the master of thirst, our favorite entrepreneur, Ethan Cisneros. I actually first came across Ethan via social media because we all know he does such a great job at it and he's fun to follow. And I just appreciate following him, like seeing another entrepreneur in the grind, like just figuring it out, trying new things, making mistakes. And he's been inspiring to me. And so through social media, mainly Instagram, I've reached out to him and uh, we started a, a good friendship and uh, it's led to me helping out with some of his podcast stuff. And I run my own podcast called Leading Saints and consult with other businesses about uh, podcasting. And so it was fun to uh, get together with Ethan to, to do podcasting and talk about it. And uh, he asked me if I would interview him about the thirst story, about the Ethan story. And that's what led to this interview. So anyways, I'd love to connect with anybody out there in the uh, in Thirst Nation or anybody who's a fan of Ethan. I think uh, I'd love to be a fan of you. So you can reach me at uh, all social media platforms at Kurt Hal, K-U-R-T-H-A-L. And my business is Leading Saints. So here is my interview with Ethan Cisneros, the founder of Thirst. So where do we start? What hospital? Where were you born? <laughs> okay, so California is actually, not a lot of people know this, but I actually spent, I was born in California and then I lived there until I was nine or 10. And then I came out to Utah and Salt Lake and then I've been here ever since. But California is actually home, Southern California. So what, what brought you to Utah? So my dad got a job out here yeah. and we all followed. My sister was in like late high school. My brother was just going in and I was going to be in junior high. And we just sent it out to Utah and yeah. And what, what did your dad do? So at the time, he's always done finance, finance for different companies like Marriott, I think is the one that he came to Utah for. Some, the resorts up in Park City, he did the fin- director of finance for them. Finance guy. Yeah, finance guy. So very smart. I would say like conservative as far as financially, like wouldn't ever do anything I do with investing my money in my business, <laughs> like crazy. But it's actually been nice because that's balanced probably a lot of what I have. Yeah. You know, his understanding and practicality with that kind of stuff. So do you, do you uh, turn to your dad for like financial advice or when you're funding a project or? At this point in the company, it's grown to a point where I leave him out of everything. Yeah. Because I just... <laughs> For, up for a number of reasons, as you can imagine. Just, I feel like it just saves relationships yeah. in some ways. Just to keep He's dad, separate. not, not yeah. business stuff. Yeah. yeah, but definitely from the start. Like I yeah. remember specifically the way that he taught me to make a spreadsheet and forecast. Say, like One of the most important parts of making a business plan is literally this is something I always remember is people project how much sales they want to do, but they don't look at what it would take to actually produce that much volume. Mm. For instance, say I was like, oh yeah, I can easily do $5,000 a day in soda and cookies. What my dad taught me how to do is put that into a practical situation of, all right, actually how many drinks would you need to sell? And then how many drinks would be per car? And then how many cars would you actually need to fit in to do that? And if it's 3,000 or something completely unrealistic, like he's always grounded practicality for me. And uh, I feel like I'm a I'm a great balance of that because my dad is, I'm a dreamer and an ambitious hustler, I'll go, yeah. a go-getter, yeah. but he, I think 
and I wouldn't ever want to be completely this way. I think it's what has made me be able to make a lot of jumps and grab some successes is that I'm willing to do take risk and do that, but everything's in the balance. And I specifically think I got mine from like my dad showing me how to do that. But what I was saying is he taught me how to make my first spreadsheet. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So uh, when did the entrepreneur spirit start? So I didn't really think about it as an entrepreneur until entrepreneurship in the last three years, I feel like has gotten really popular. But really, even when I was a kid, it wasn't as much. I didn't even think about that term very much, but I was doing the same strategy. So the first like real business was our lawn, my lawn mowing business. And I did one of those. Yeah. It's like everyone does up. it. Yeah. 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 It's the best money I've still ever made. You can make so much money, <laughs> but just by grinding it out. But I, so I did it. I started it when I was 11. And this was before we could drive and get our trailers and everything down there. So the first, at first, when we just had like one or two accounts, was my buddy from like the local church. And we would both push our mowers like a mile to get there. Then we got to the point where we had so many accounts that we would hook up this little trailer to the back. One of our moms would drive us to a location. We'd dump the trailer off just in the road. And it would be like our central to walk to all the different gotcha. accounts. And so it wasn't just like in your neighborhood? like Well, it was like over in, yeah, all of the little neighboring neighborhoods. It okay. wasn't really walkable, especially gotcha. with all the, we, had, we did it right, man. Yeah. Trimmers, all the backup stuff, blowers. <laughs> and then the same strategies. Like I, I remember this the other day. One of the things that I did, I can't remember, I guess I just had this idea, but it was a, it was a brand touch point. Now that I think about it, we made these cards that said, it was my buddy's name was Zach, Zach and Ethan's Lawns. You know, <laughs> trademark. <And> yeah. <laughs> After we got to the point, so we had maybe we were 10 lawns at this point or something. We get to the point where we would just like, we really felt like a company and that we would show up, mow the lawn, get the service done and go. And it would be like, oh, like, yeah, look, we'll invoice you at the end of the month. And we wanted to, we've all, like, I've always just been a fan of like providing a lot of value and like being really good. And I just remember I had this idea, oh, I should leave, I should make these custom cards and put little rubber bands on the end and hook them up to the door. If they're not, if we don't greet them while we're there, we leave it on the door that says, Blank was here mowing your lawn today. Here are the notes that he had. If you guys have any questions, here's my cell phone number. I don't know. It just, I, and I found the copy of like the actual form in my email the other day. And I was like, dang, we're doing the same kind of thing. It's just like yeah. branding and authenticity and customer service. Was so. that just, that just came natural or? Just, I remember exactly. Remember? I think I just, it must have been. It was just, I just had this idea and I was like, yeah, yeah it makes completely sense. And I remember my dad too at the time being like, oh, that'd be a great idea. And my dad was always like the one that was like, have ideas like that or help me have ideas like that. Or he would be like, I remember one thing he always used to say, the next step is my shaved ice business, which I'll tell you about. Mm -hmm. But I remember he always used to be like, you should go up to all the people because they're like on a Friday or Saturday night and be like maybe 20 different groups around the parking lot eating our shaved ice. He would always tell me that I should go up to them and ask them if I could just take their cup and go refill it, if they'd like a refill for free. Oh, yeah. He's just like, he's all about, I feel like getting the best bank, like a yeah. good deal and providing value. And so I, I've stuck with that, I feel like, as a higher level thesis for a long time. But anyways, yeah, lawn mowing business was yeah. first. first. And, and did, was that something you thought, maybe I, you know, when I grow older, I can have a landscaping company? I just thought it was sick that I was, I was the one doing it. Like I, I was the one that had all these accounts. I made more money than my friends. I employed my friends. Like it was, How many friends you got on your crew? Not a ton, honestly, but like three or four, because I was doing them mostly. Like we would do literally, like I played football and other than that, we would go to school mow lawns for as long as we can, go to practice, and then probably mow one after, go trim and blow after uh -huh. on a couple different lawns. But like, uh -huh. really, like, I just 
didn't like not doing anything. I still don't. Rachel will tell you, I cannot sit still ever. Yeah, yeah if you follow you on Instagram, you wonder like this guy sleep at some point, but, uh, but that's when the hustle started, right? Yeah. And uh, like I was saying, it didn't even feel like hustle or entrepreneurship back then, but yeah. it's now kind of like, oh yeah, that's what's going on. And so, so was it, what was, I mean, did you enjoy spending the money? Did, was it just like, do you feel in, independence no, or what I've was never, the drive? Yeah. That's the thing is I've never, I've never really like saved up and bought a huge thing. I've never spent a lot of money. I've never like been one. I've it's, that's never been a huge thing for me. In fact, in fact, to this day, like I've never made more than $30,000 a year. I just, mm-hmm. I would rather, I would rather do what I'm like, put it into what I'm doing and do what I'm doing. Like if the thing is about me and money is like, I always, my friends like to be like, oh yeah, well he could make a lot of money, but he invests back into the business. I'm sitting here like, I feel like I'm investing into the business to like keep the business alive and flowing yeah. the way I do. And so <laughs> I don't know. Like I've to be totally transparent. Like I've never, I, I've never cashed out hard. I've, I, my business right now does three million dollars plus in revenue a year, but I still will continue to honestly, apart from making some financially smart decisions, which I'm going to do soon to invest in my future. I'm like, I'm just trying to build a huge company, yeah. <laughs> like, and that's what, yeah. that's what I'm more excited about, and so. So, so as a kid, was there a, I mean, if someone asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, did you have an answer? I just wanted, not specifically, but I would say I was, I've always just wanted to like do things big, like set, like just go for it. Like I, like when I, for instance, like when I played football and especially in little league, I was always the ones that like was so fearless to hit, like tackle people (laughs) that I was like, had all the black marks, like Uh skids on my head. Or like just in high school, I would try to like just throw these grandiose like parties. Like for some reason, I just like thrill and climb of just doing things better than anyone else. Yeah. Or just the competitiveness of it. Like I was telling you about a new business I'm going into pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And like I'm going to be a franchisee. Mm-hmm. I am so competitive to be like, I just don't, I can't imagine any of the other franchisees having a more successful store than me. Like I yeah. just, it is literally nothing else that's as important to me than making that happen. So I just feel like more than anything, I'm just like 1000% committed. Yeah, I've always been committed to whatever I was working on, whether it was this lawn mowing, but like I was saying, school to lawns to practice, to literally back to lawns. It just was like, maybe it was an example that I saw or something, but I was always committed to something and doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get into the- Sorry, uh, mouthful. The shaved ice business, but before that, like anything about your upbringing, your childhood that sort of defines you as an entrepreneur today, or as an individual, or even defines the brand of Thirst and or yeah. other businesses. Specifically with Thirst, the main thing that sticks out to me is definitely not the soda, definitely not the pro- like literally none of the products at all. Yeah. You're not well, like a soda addict or something. Absolutely not. In <laughs> fact, right now I'm we're sitting in our commercial kitchen where I'm. Basically, one of the ideas of the commercial kitchen is to bring everything in house mm-hmm. because now that we ha- are opening our fourth store, it's like we don't want to buy cookies and resell them. Like we should be making our own cookies yeah. for our stores. I hate baking and making cookie dough. I hate it. I'm not good at it. I have no interest in it, but I'm singing, I'm doing it because it's part of the process of trying yeah. to figure it out. I'm trying to perfect the recipe that so I can freeze it, ship it to the stores, exact bake time. I'm like, I hate this, but I like the game of the whole thing. Yeah. So it's just part of it. It's fun. Yeah. So, so anything else about your upbringing that defines who you are? The, the Sorry, that wasn't exact answer to the question. Well, I, I, we took a left turn, but that's um, I would say just a lot of hard work. My dad, yeah. 
works late. Like, and it's not like he has a job. It's not, he's not an entrepreneur or there's not anything specifically. I don't know. I feel like he doesn't have more interest really than just being a hard worker. Uh-huh. It's like, it's not like he's the owner of the company. It's just like he gets there at seven and he leaves at like eight, I think, or seven mm-hmm. or eight, which is insane, I think, for a corporate job. But I've just always seen specifically, I don't really ever talk about my dad and content, not for not for any specific reason, but now just thinking, talking out loud, it's just like such a clear example of so many strategies and like tactics mm-hmm. I have now. Yeah. The work ethic. Was, work ethic. It was yeah. obvious. Yeah. It was like crazy yeah. work ethic. Nice. So the the shaved ice, where does yeah. that story begin? Okay. So then this is when I got kind of more out there and fun and known is so I was doing the lawn mowing. I knew that I was making good money. I knew that I was, I knew, I feel like I knew, so that was 16 at this time. And I feel like I knew that I was, I don't know other, any other way to say it than like balling out mm-hmm. <laughs> like my, my buddies, you know, like I was yeah. crushing it. I was doing great, you know? And like, I felt I had, like the richest kid in the valley. Sure, yeah. Right? Like <laughs> I had a business, like, and it's the, I feel like it's like one of those things that's like, if you get like, it's the first thing that comes up because it's easy to talk about, you know, same, same with thirst, which is humbling, but it's just yeah. like, the, oh, it's one of those kind of things. I was like, all right, I'm doing good. I, we, there was a really popular shaved ice shack called Island Flavor in Holiday. And <clears throat> a bunch of my friends worked there and this was 16. So I was just getting into like where you hang out with your friends a lot and get your license. And everyone would hang out at Island Flavor on Friday and Saturday nights. And I was literally, my, I was hanging out too. I won't say I wasn't hanging out, but I was counting the people and then like trying to come up in my head, like, well, how many snow cones did they buy? And that's when my dad helped me put that into like, okay. Cause at that point, it's like, if you want to do, I was, then I started telling my dad, Hey, I want to do a shaved ice business. Mm. This thing's crushing it. I think I could do really, really good in it. And he's, that's when he's, all right, if you're going to have a physical store and employees and pay, like, make, I didn't like make an LLC for my uh, lawn mowing business up until that point, but he showed me how to make it legit, I would say. And that was one of the, really the last like touch points he's ever had in my business careers. And I was that age is he, like I was saying at the beginning, he put the number, all right, if you, if you really want to make X amount of money, here's how many snow cones you'd have to sell. Here's how many hours you're open. So here's how many people would have to potentially come in an hour. And if that's unrealistic, it, it was a great way of like, it was like, it set the tone for me of like, that's how you like see a business is like that it's there to make money and you need to think about it practically or else you won't be there. I think is honestly the way a lot of people lose is they look at it more of the glamour of the entrepreneurship and owning the business. My dad explained it to me right off the bat of like, probably because he was a, you know, a financial guy. This, here's how you, here's how, here's how you have to run profit. You know, he didn't teach me anything about marketing or branding or anything like that, but I'm so glad he set that tone because I, everyone knows marketing, branding, being loud is my strong suit. <laughs> and so I'm glad that like, but I will say that like, I'm, people think I'm a whiz with spreadsheets just because I've been since then using that template and making it more and more complex and relatable to what I'm working on since then for the last like eight years. So, yeah. So what did it take to, to start that? Like, did you have to go oh, buy yeah, a machine? Talking, or? So, okay. So first I needed a building. So there's these these shacks. These aren't like a lemonade. This is like a step of, above that. You have uh-huh. employees, inventory, you have to pay rent. And so I there was an island flavor. It was really popular. I started looking for one of these buildings. By the way, I, I had the lawn mowing money, but not a ton of it. Like I didn't have $20,000. Right. I was kind of just making it and spending it. And uh, basically I was looking for a building. I was looking on classifieds, KSL. 
And we found a building, it was like 10 grand or something they were asking. And it was up in Heber. And my dad went to look at it with me and it was beautiful building. It was like nicer than all the other ones. And these are like the shacks that you can actually shacks. put on Imagine a trailer. Like a Java or, Joe's coffee yeah, yeah. shop or a hookalea. You've seen those. So, so it didn't matter where it was because you could move it, right? Incorrect. Because this oh. one was a, it was located up in Heber, but it was a permanent structure. Okay. So it had to be picked up by a semi and moved to a new place. And that was the plan. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I went to look at it in Heber. And this is an important part of the story because this is where I meet my business partner for now. So I go up to Heber with my dad at this point. Still, it's just funny to think about because I was 16 when this whole thing, when Thirst really originally sparked was when I met Sierra, which is when I was 16. And anyways, we went up there. We're looking at the shack. It was, it was previously being used for a coffee shack. It was on a piece of land that Sierra and her husband bought, I think, something like that. And anyways, she wanted to sell it. She had put in her KSL like description would also be open to bit like business partner offers like, mm-hmm. or a partner relationship, something like that. And uh, basically, I showed my dad that. I was like, what does this mean? Because my dad wasn't going to buy me a $10,000 shack either. He <laughs> yeah. wasn't in a place to do that, I don't think. And then he wouldn't have. He, would, he wouldn't. Like, that's not the kind of thing he would just like, all right, here you go. I'll invest that for you. Yeah. And, unless I like, you know, anyway, do what he helped me do, which is, all right, we saw the business partner opportunity. He helped me make like an actual business plan that was really, really smart and advanced because he was good at it. And I really got a good understanding of it. I was like, all right, I could actually do this. I showed it to her. Her name was Sierra. And Sierra and her husband, they have a bakery up in Heber, Heber, just right on Main Street in Heber. And they had this shack that was on another piece of property that they owned in Heber. And basically, we got to know Sierra when we were up there looking at it. She's like, oh, yeah, I have a bakery down the road, by the way. Go check it out. Gave me a coupon or something. We ended up sending her a business plan. We ended up getting on a bunch of different phone calls. Long story short, we went 50-50 on the business. I ran everything. She gave me the shack for free and we split the profits 50-50. Wow. Yeah. And so it, at first we thought it would be like, all right, just like she's just giving me the shack. I'm going to give her her cut. I honestly had no idea. I was just going for it because it's awesome. Yeah. But it turned into like, I mean, I think the like highest consistent we were doing is like six, 700 bucks a day, but uh-huh. significant for us. I mean, adds up fast. And so- it was a seasonal business. It we would open it usually in like May, I think, and then close it at the end of the fall. But have about fifteen, maybe even twenty employees at a time because you're open ten a.m. basically to like eleven p.m. That's the way I did it. And so I figured all that out. Like I literally made so many mistakes. I was that was really one of the last points that my dad did help me. It was like getting the pitch out, uh-huh. and uh, but he didn't have time to help me. I, he knew I was going to do it all on my own. I had my license. I set up a sole proprietorship, which I've since learned is was one of my worst moves when I have people tripping on for my... It was, it's the kind of company that has the least liability uh-huh. for me. I could have gotten to yeah, right. But I just literally Googled, how do you like get this piece of info for this application, which was, hey, you need to have a company formed with the state. Then you need to file for all these different tax IDs and all this stuff like that. And I just literally Googled it. And that's how I learned. Like yeah. I literally learned by just seriously searching it. Yeah. And that's how I learned by trial and error, by setting up my first company as a sole proprietorship since it's changed to an LLC. Yeah. And you're still learning that way, right? With various things you do. Totally. Like yeah. I'm learning so much stuff. And then and to finish the story of the shaved ice, yeah, hired about 15 employees. They were all high school kids. I was in high school, so it was awesome. Yeah. I thought so was, you're 16 at this point? Or? I was 17, probably okay. the grand opening. And we ran it all summer. What like there definitely wasn't as busy as I wanted to at times, but that's where I figured out how to do marketing. There was really Instagram wasn't 
the big player at the time it was more on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I was learning how to do Facebook. I was learning how to give things out like punch cards. Guerrilla marketing is, as I like to call it, is really what I feel like I learned hard at the Shaved Ice Shack is we're talking flyers. We're talking hand-to-hand combat, going up to people that are in the same parking lot and offering them a sample. Like stuff I like to scale now at Thirst that I think a lot of people don't aren't able to is like the tactics I learned to get people. There was no ad, like ads or really influencers or honestly content that much that I was focusing on. It was like tried and true. I'll knock on your door and tell you about my shaved ice shack yeah. to every local person. So that's cool. So yeah. did you? So you moved that shack down to Holiday area? So we moved it down to Holiday right above where my high school was. So there was a parking lot right above. So next step, okay, so we got the building secured. Now we're looking for a place that we can put it and get a lease. And so I'm literally just cold calling pieces. I'm first, it didn't, wasn't that simple too, because I had to find a place I thought was going to be sick. And then I would have to go to the city hall building, which I learned by just going to the front desk. They showed me how to go to the planning department, which showed me how to look up the parcel number of who owned it. And whether or not they would allow the zoning to be there of a business. And so I called like a bunch of different property owners in Holiday that I thought had a good spot or owned a parking lot or had a business at the parking lot. And I found one that was right above my high school, which is Olympus High School. And I was like, why don't we make it the hang? Because more than anything, I wanted it to be like an experience, like a hangout spot where everyone went to, because that's the thick of what I was in, the part of my life I was in. So I called it Olympus Ice. Nice. And I put it in less than a quarter mile above the high school. And that's exactly what it was. So it was the hangout spot, like late into the night, like probably too high school-y, like parking lot type vibe. <laughs> but it was also awesome place for the community. We had lights and games out every night. We were super friendly, good service. We literally, we served shaved ice and sometimes we'd have like cookies. It was really, it was mostly shaved ice. Yeah. And it was pretty awesome. I did that for two years. Nice. What happened to the shack? So... <laughs> Then I was, then I graduated high school Okay, and I was on the traditional track of like, I still, this is seriously, I still entrepreneurship. I feel like wasn't popular. There was no uh-huh. Gary V blowing up people's Instagram. This is seriously, it felt like this is because this was 2014 to 2015 like, time. And it wasn't cool. It was a little risky. Like, Hey, yeah, you know, it was maybe yeah, you should go to college, Ethan. Exactly. Right, right. Well, I was for sure. I had to go to college uh-huh. actually. <laughs> like, it wasn't still literally, even though I'd had this successful business, I thought I was going to business school, but it was interesting. So it was an interesting time in my life too, because I turned 18. All my buddies were go- went on an LDS mission right uh-huh. out of high school because I was right after the LDS age change oh, yeah. of when you can go on a mission. So they, everyone started going right out of high school. I, was, I feel like I was just on a different track than my peers because I, I, was, I was like no other high school kid was every single morning at the shack dumping out the waste tank, refilling the water, making sure the employees had what they need for the day or working it myself. Like I literally have been working 50 hours a week since I was like 12. Yeah. <laughs> and I just feel like I was, it was easy for me to not do exactly what my high school friends are doing because I was already skipping half the parties to go work at the shack anyways. Uh-huh. And so I didn't do that right at high school, even though I grew up LDS. I didn't go on a mission right at high school. And I was like, oh, I was kind of looking for something new yeah. to do. I went and I was like, I'm going to go to the University of Utah just kind of far from where my shack was. And I just was like, all right, I'm going to focus on college. And I just told Sierra that. And we thought this was going to be probably the end of our relationship. It's a seasonal business anyway. So at the end of the summer or fall, it would get shipped back up to her property on a semi. Oh, really? Here. Yeah. <laughs> it was expensive. And anyways, so I told her, I was like, hey, I'm going to college. And we actually, actually, now I think about it, we were just going to start it again the following year. But in between then, we started noticing, and Sierra and I kept talking, 
And we started noticing Swig obviously blowing up. This is really when Swig started getting popular and opening a bunch of stores. And we also noticed that there was nothing in downtown Salt Lake where I was going to college or really in the Salt Lake Valley at the time at all. There was no soda shops. It was St. George and Provo based really. And so we saw a gap in the market. Again, I wish there was like, I had a better story of like thought going into it, but it, I felt like it was like the shaved ice shack for me. It was like, wow, that sounds exciting. We just <laughs> yeah. went for it. So I wasn't this revelation or anything. Not <laughs> at all. I didn't ever even really go to Swig ever. Like I'd <laughs> never been to anything like that. But Sierra was, she, to her credit, had a lot of the idea of let's do a soda shop. I had also just hustled my face off for a couple of years. She had seen me work really hard. She trusted me and um, she wanted to be a part of something like that. And so anyway, she had just sold a house, I believe. And there was a property in downtown Salt Lake on 13 South, our original store. And one of my buddy's parents or something were the landlord and I got sent to me, sent it to Sierra. I went and looked at it, knew nothing about a lease, literally not uh-huh. like still at this point, I ran Olympus Ice for two years, but looking at it now, I knew literally nothing about anything. And uh, just was like, yeah, yeah, let's go for it. And started Thirst. Yeah. And that was 2015. And then we launched in 2016. And uh, here we are five years later. Yeah. So I want to back up and ask you about, you know, if there's, to me, I'm always, you know, raising kids and whatnot. I, I want them to be that type of, uh, that type of kid who's willing to walk into a city hall building and ask about, you know, how do you lease a piece of parking lot or whatever. So, I mean, was that, did that come naturally to you or how do you, because a high school kid talking to adults is sometimes intimidating. Yeah. I, I've definitely had a lot of confidence for forever. I think that's one of the things that's always going to help me. The other thing is I am exceptional. I think my top skill as a human being is solving problems. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really think I'm good at whatever the strategic plan is to do something. Like I, I will say like one of my strengths is I'll come into a meeting that some of my employees are having and simplify it in two seconds and make a solution. Mm-hmm. And so it's probably frustrating for them sometimes. Yeah. Like that's always been a skill of mine. I saw my dad do it, whether it was like fixing something in the house, woodworking, whatever it was. We didn't really hire anyone to fix our stuff kind of thing unless mm-hmm. it was in- really intense. And so it just made sense to me. All right, I need to figure out how to do this. I'm going to just go look it up, call this person. They say, go here. I went there. Like I was just that combined with it was what I wanted to do the most. So I just worked on it all the time. And yeah. So just, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And that's good to point out some of those. I think we all have some level of superpower that we bring to what sure. we do, you know, yeah. that doesn't because you had a ton of practice. I even more. that gives me it's something I've actually been thinking about a lot lately is like it's I think I'm exceptional at operating and problem solving. And it gives me almost it's almost like a feeling like it's like now that the company is at its point right now, and it's act, I'm really at a growth point right now. Like we're mm-hmm. about, we're yeah. literally about to open multiple stores. I just hired two new general managers for a couple of my other stores. Our production kitchen that's going to now feed stores is opening, and then we're opening two more stores this summer, which on a different project. It's like I'm really at a pivotal point where I'm thinking about plans and operations and strategy a lot, and it's def. I definitely recognize that it's my superpower. I also recognize that it's really hard to scale and it's uh it makes me anxious a lot honestly yeah. it's like oh, like i know how to do things i feel like for example if i could narrow down on what whether it's one specific store or training or marketing or any of these specific areas i know that my mind is capable of dissecting it and absolutely blowing it up like the best thing 
The problem is I'm currently learning as an entrepreneur how to take that and either teach it to people or put my time in the highest ROI places so that it outweighs what I'm having people at a less capacity do. But I really, yeah, I think that's definitely my strength specifically in business is seeing something and really most any category, like even with finances, it's finances, it's definitely my weakness in that I don't value it enough. I don't spend enough time on the numbers because I don't think they're as important in the long run as branding and marketing. Mm. As, but it's a fine balance because I'm not going to lie, I've ran it way too close financially. Because like, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that's like inve- reinvest everything. I don't take any money. I have, I have a crap ton of employees. I have over 125 employees. Wow. Next week with West Jordan, we're going to have 160. And I reinvest everything back in. I would say my weakness is paying attention and being strategic based on, yeah. or being realistic based on revenue. I've just always been such a salesman and marketer that it's been able to keep up. Yeah. But even finances, I, if I really was focusing on it, like I said, I, if I, and I do, sometimes I'd be like, all right, I need to create a new inventory system or I need to analyze our cost of goods and see where we're bleeding in specific areas based on the sales. I can build really cool sheets. I can understand it in a very clear way that I feel like other people can't. Problem is I can't scale my mind focusing in on something. And it's like, so it's, to me, it's like my, I know it's my superpower, but it's also makes me more anxious mm. than anything. Cause I'm like, oh, I know exactly how that's supposed to be done. I just can, I do not have the bandwidth to get to yeah. it. So I'm learning how to do that. Cause I've never, I've always been at my store, blowing up my store, blowing up my catering line. But now that I'm really gotten to scale over the last two years, I'm like, oh, hey, I can't yeah. do that. And lately you've been focused bit. on the, the systems of it all, right? Cause that's the secret, right? You have to duplicate the system. I hope. Yeah. Like I'm definitely not the one to, to, do I think I've built uh, processes and training and an operational business that is just about ready to be copied and grown even more and more? Yeah, I think I'm, it's definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm above average just because I think I'm skilled as a business person, but it's definitely not the place I've chosen to spend the most of my, most of my time. But yeah, recently I've been like, okay, and I've actually been quieter like on my own con, especially from thirst outlets of like Ethan marketing, like, offensive strategies from me. Like you'll see, like I just noticed today, I'm like, dang it, I haven't even been sending out text blasts versus two months ago. That was my number one thing is driving sales through text marketing. I'm like, it's just, you can't be everywhere. And I'm learning how to hire people and empower people to do what I want them to do and the way I know how to do it. And uh, it's intense. (laughs) Yeah. It's stressful. So let's jump back to the the beginning of Thirst. Uh, did, Did you have the building before you had the brand? It kind of happened at the same time. And there's like, oh, we have a building. All right, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> I wish we didn't do that. that we, online, social media, I feel like wasn't as apparent then. It didn't seem, I didn't know. I wasn't educated to know that how to do it this way now. If I could go back, I definitely would have been putting out content, communicating, building the brand even before I got, regardless yeah. of where like the building like a big launch went. type thing. Yeah. But even back then, I, I really didn't know. I didn't, I feel like I don't, I didn't really know what marketing and offensive strategies were. I'd only been operating up to this point. I'd been doing it, but I didn't really realize I'd been doing it. But it was it was a year, two years in the thirst when we literally started. Like we we're really busy now. Like I was saying, we do significant revenue. We have three stores and a catering line that does that revenue. We didn't do that before. Mm. Like and we were losing money for the first at least year and a half. And I was working every single shift, literally every single one and seeing every customer <laughs> yeah. open to close. Then I was like, we, the question was about the first part of thirst, right? So this story is appropriate. I mean, this is 
the first two years of Thirst were not busy. It's actually a common misconception. We got popular after a lot of time not being popular. Uh And it was hard because it was, I wasn't making any money. The business was losing money. I was stressed because I was the operator and entrepreneur behind someone else's investment at this point. I have to pay employees and rent. And like here I did bite this big boy chunk of a business off. I was 19. And I was... It was college an afterthought at this point? or it was, I was... So then I was going to college. Okay, you're still so going. I went to college like a normal student. I would say I was definitely distracted, but like a normal student for the first two years. And I would argue that the only reason I did that is just because I didn't know that I could do and be who I was almost. Because the first two years, I literally... I was doing marketing, but I didn't really understand... I didn't understand how much marketing and branding is like you put it you get out what you put in. And so two years in, I was the company was losing money and we I was needing to take money from my business partner to, who was that was kind of her role as more hands off and help it get off the ground and I was going to operate everything and build it into this company and she was going to help me where I needed. And two years in, this is when my mom, so I'm really close with my mom, although it seemed like I only work. I'm really I prioritize what I want which is my relationships with my girlfriend, my family, and my team and my business. Like, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Like, I don't really need to do anything else I've learned over the last few years. And, and you work with your girlfriend too, so I that do helps. Yeah, it helps a lot. <laughs> you don't have to be like, ah, I got to get home or yep. got <laughs> Anyways, I, I'm super close with my mom. She got, ended up getting sick. This was in 2016. So shortly after we, or 2018 actually, sorry. Two years after we opened, like I said. Mm-hmm. And... uh she had a brain tumor. Whoa. Yeah. And uh, on top of all this, you're juggling and yeah. And, but the thing is, I, I didn't really like, I was just kind of like letting it happen. Like if, looking back, I'm like, like I know how to tell anyone how to get people to their, the door in their business. I, I know how to do it. I'm looking, I sometimes think back, I'm like, why wasn't I, why wasn't I doing it? I think it was several reasons. One, I was still really a kid. I was trying to live the college life at the same time while working 50, <laughs> yeah. 60 hours a week. So that was something that got me distracted. But I do think number two is that my mom got really sick. And I mean, she had a brain tumor. She would, she had an incident happen. They ended up giving her a CAT scan. They found cancer, which is stage, I think two or three, but it was really serious. You had to go right into surgery as soon as they found it, brain surgery and came out, was paralyzed on the left side. Whoa. At least right when she woke up. And it was like, I feel like it was a definitely a perspective shift for me. I compare it to what I have told before is like what happened to me then was basically the fact that there was no other alternative other than going to work and fixing things and trying to get better in my mom's situation. Mm-hmm. Meaning, okay, she's sick. She's in surgery right now. We're sitting out in this waiting room. I can be sad or I can go try to make things better. Like there's literally two yeah. options. Like, I think it gets honestly overthought, but I was like, oh, wait, like I can either figure out how to fix this myself and refer to my business. The comparison is that my mom got really sick and it was through my dad and kind of my siblings and our relationship. Then I was like, we can either just let this suck and, you know, not have that much time left with mom, or we can make the best out of this. We all need to keep working hard and going on with our lives, just like she wants us to be able to do. You got to keep going. And I and you had the thirst store at this time, right? I had the thirst okay. store. I was two years in the thirst store, in, and it was okay. not making money. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, and it was really hard time, like in my purse, like with my mom and my family, of course. And in, 
after that, she got sick and then started the process of where she's still at now is trying to get healthier and gain her movement back on her left side. So she's been disabled ever since. But the fight to move back from such an experience like that, I feel like taught me a lot about what I do in business too. Because like really at the end of the day, if I basically learned no one is going to, I'm not a kid anymore. No one's just going to send people to my door right now. There's no way like, and people can't keep helping me get money for forever. It's either I'm going to figure this out. just like my mom's going to, or the business is going to die. Yeah. You know, it's really that simple. Wow. And I, I started getting into the mindset of, all right, how do I fix this? How do I, and I literally remember myself, I don't know why I would do this, but I would, I remember I worked every shift and I remember watching Netflix because it was so slow and I was the only one in the shop. Literally, it's crazy because now we have seven people working at once to move. So you were the only one in the store. I was the only one in the store. And no customers. Yeah. (laughs) Most of the the days there would be two people that worked. Me and a closer, I would work open to like seven or eight. They would work five to and close it out. But I remember specifically sitting in the kitchen and watching something on Netflix or something like that. And that just stands out to me because I would never do that now. And it was after I feel like that life event where I never, ever wasted a single second while I was losing something or while I wanted something. Hmm. I was like, here I am having this, looking back, I'm like, what was I doing? I had this business losing money. There was not customers in my door. Why wasn't I going out and trying to get more? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it was, but something yeah. happened. It was either that event itself, which that's what I think it was, or something or something of that similar time. But I think it was that that made me be like, all right, well, no one's going to fix this for me. I'm yeah. actually a big boy. So if I want this to continue to live on, then I got to go find customers. That's when I started tripling down and staying up until my fingers bled, DMing people on Instagram and flyering doors and delivering to every local business and literally just doing every single offensive strategy I could literally think of. It's basically what I do now, exaggerated. Like People see what thirst do now, which is in general, I think we do more than our competitors. We do more specials. We do more features. We post more on Instagram. We are just doing more things to try and be good. You know, yeah. we're always developing our products. We're always like just always trying to do more marketing and things like that. I was always learned at that point forward. I was always trying to do more and bring people into my business. Oh, what I was saying is that it was exaggerated when I had one store because I was doing everything, every mm-hmm. type of strategy you could do to to go from a business losing money to one that's been one of the most popular stores in Salt Lake is completely obsessed with not letting a single second go by that I could use to bring a customer into my business, basically. Because mm-hmm. that was it. It was like, I need customers. Simple. Is how do I communicate to them? And so that's when I that's when Instagram started to get really popular. And I just went all in. I started posting a ton. I started following some people that I was seeing doing it right. And I just went completely all in. Yeah. So was there a give up moment where you thought, all right, we maybe I that you actually considered maybe we need a to to wrap this uh, party and up. thirst, yeah, with thirst, no, because it, it sounded like the, that moment with your mom. It really like it launched you off. Like you were like, let's yeah, do this, yeah. It, and I didn't realize at the time, and it's still hard. Like I was saying, like I don't can't put my finger on it. Yeah, but I, it makes sense to me really when I think about it. Of like, because in that moment, I remember thinking in my own head of like, all right, there's really two options. Here is almost give up, <laughs> and it's no more for my mom or we're all going to fight back. We're all going to be part of the process of getting better. And I think I just kind of carried that out through everything else I was doing in my life. Yeah. So where does the, is there anything, any story behind the name thirst? Thirst 
is the only good part about thirst, the specific to the name, is that we didn't call it Sodalicious or Swig Dirty Soda for a reason. It's just because then you're bound to be soda. Uh-huh. And I think that gives us less share in the market. And so my whole strategy as recently is put products and combos and things on the menu that put us into having more market share, which is not just people that are like cold cookies and big Diet Cokes, which is great. And we do have that part of the market, but we want to get everyone, non-soda drinkers, people in other states, all this different stuff. And so we named it Thirst Happy Drinks and Treats because drinks and treats can be anything, smoothies yeah. and pretzels or cookies and whatever, soda, yeah. whatever it may be. So that's the only cool part about the specifically the name. But yeah. Anything else about the, the the growth years? I mean, you're still in the growth years, but the the startup years where yeah. you, things were unsure that we haven't mentioned. Oh, it was, it was real. I know why most people don't go over to like two years in a business, at least like that. Yeah. Is because you can't just open your door and expect people to come. I learned that the very much the hard way. And, uh, oh, it is hard. And I have so much empathy for people like in that phase or trying or, or they're wondering, is it going to be this way forever? Or cause it honestly, it might be if the, they're not destined to be that skilled entrepreneur, you know? And so I, uh, it was a very mentally testing. It's still like, it's, it's in these growth phase. I feel like I'm in another big growth step right now, just kind of like I was very much in the early stages and over anything, it's, it's just a lot of pressure. Like there's a making payroll and major expenses that the alternative is really bad mm-hmm. <laughs> to me. Those are super stressful. And learning how to manage it is, is tough. So yeah. more than anything, I just have empathy for anyone else doing it. Cause I know how difficult it was. Yeah. What have you learned about risk? Uh, you know, people, especially wanting to be an entrepreneur or starting up a business, the risk scares them. What if, uh, you know, what if it doesn't work or I, what, how do you respond to risk? I think the best way to start is the way I started is by looking at it from that perspective. It's like, this is risky. How much are you actually going to have to do in order to fulfill the goal and ambitions that you're saying. I feel like one of the first mistakes a lot of people make is being all up in the clouds and not grounded in reality when it comes to how much sales they think they're going to do by starting their website or opening their retail door. Like People don't just come. (laughs) Like, Although during coronavirus, most drive-thrus are actually busy just because people want something to do. In general... I think it's a general rule to say that just because you open your doors as a business, that people are going to come. And so that's like, it seems obvious, but it's so like, it's the reality. It's like, okay, you think you're going to open this pizza shop, but do you know how many pizzas that you're going to have to sell? And how are you going to get that many people when there's people over here that are doing it already? And so I think just practicality and reality is like, because really I'm the biggest risk taker ever. Like I said, I run things really lean. I'm always reinvesting hard back into the business. Like I'm opening two stores and I didn't raise any funding ever for Thursday. Oh, really? Yeah. I've done everything wow. out of profit. And um, that comes, people don't understand. I I feel like that you look at the numbers of how to run a store. This specifically, I feel like business or restaurant owners relate to this is you look at the numbers of how to run a store, you have revenue, you usually have cost of goods, labor and fixed expenses, you know, overhead. What isn't on there is every time the sink breaks, or that may be on there, but it it definitely doesn't include for most businesses when they're looking about it, a marketing, full-time marketing person who is one of the highest paid people in the company, 
I've done things like specifically that or opening more stores or building catering bars or buying new equipment or spending money on ads or spending money on cameras and personnel to do it. Like I have reinvested everything into making it is what it is today. So the reason I've been able to do it at the speed that I've done over the last few years is because I have taken nothing out of it and I have put everything into places I thought was going to be best and I really went for it. So I'm a big risk taker for sure. Most small businesses, especially back in the time when I just had one store that didn't do very much revenue yet, I hired a full-time person to help me make content and become the best marketed company ever. That Mm -hmm. was a massive risk. And so I definitely am a risk taker, but I think it's it's grounded with reality and that's super important. Yeah. So uh, what's the end goal then? I mean, if I mean, is there at some point you hope that you know you'll have that payday, or is there a sell date? Is there a big blow up date? I mean, what uh, what's the end goal that drives you to this? Other than maybe it sounds like the competition. Of yeah, just doing I was going right. to say that first. Like first off, now I feel like I'm in the game. I want to mm-hmm. win. I want to crush this game of business and entrepreneurship part of career life. Like I love that now. I'm mm-hmm. in it now, and now it excites me, which was wasn't a thing that I've had for forever. So number one, I would say. That's always going to drive my future plans is being the top. Like I want to definitely want to be one of the top entrepreneurs. I don't think that me like always wanting to be to go for it and make do be the best and do the next best thing always has to be in business and entrepreneurship. Like I love the adrenaline from like action sports or Mm -hmm. I love like I could totally I would I'm just not completely set that I'm going to be an entrepreneur or business hundred hour a week in the grind for the rest of my life. I may be because I might just be so competitive and love it for forever, <laughs> but I can also see myself building a massive compound with skate parks and dirt bike jumps and uh-huh. a fun house. I love anything that's just grandiose and out there and just ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Yeah. So the game of it and just, uh, and that drive comes from, yeah. from I would from say more time. I would say more like specifically right now I'm trying to build a one, I think there's a massive gap in some of the best top food franchises in the country, at least. I don't think there any of them are marketed well. I don't think a single one of them is marketed well. And I don't really care about the product. I think my product now can work. I think now that I added pretzels to our menu a few years ago, a couple of years ago, and then we just added beignets full time to our menu, we've really rounded ourselves out as a full treats and experience similar to probably how Sonic's menu was at the Mm. start. And that's the vision I have for it is because I think now, I think anyone in any state can go and come into my store and love it and come back really soon. So now that I have that, yeah, right now I want to build one of the biggest food drive-through franchises probably. I just call it franchise because I feel like that implies like big food store (laughs) drive-through chain that you know of. But however that's structured, I'm going to build one of the biggest ones ever. And also I'm going to do it by making mine properly marketed. Like I wish that Chick-fil-A would implement some of the same strategies that Thirst does because it would make their business even more bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they got the drive through part down, but yeah. just not maybe the marketing. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that there's a gap because I don't, I don't think anyone's really done it. Yeah. And so I want to do that. I want to build a really big one. The only thing I would say is if something really big stops me along the way, I'm open to it, but I'm pretty, I'm yeah. not really, 
I'm not interested in getting to this amount of money and selling it. Yeah. If I was doing that, then I wouldn't be opening more stores. I'd be sucking out of my two really high volume profitable stores. Yeah. But no, I'm going to put everything back in because I'm I'm trying to build a huge one. Yeah. So speaking of like things, really big things that could, uh, you know, opposition and whatnot, what did uh, coronavirus look for you? You know, a lot of restaurants were hit hard. What did, what did yeah. it look for thirst? It was definitely difficult in certain aspects of we have a hundred employees and one of them gets sick. It can be 50 of them, you know, because yeah. they all have to quarantine. It was definitely difficult. It was definitely stressful. And as it was for everyone, I would say that we definitely took advantage of coronavirus and net net. It's been fantastic for our business results because one, I immediately saw it as people are going to be bored and consuming content and paying attention more than ever. So we started making a ton of content mm-hmm. and just going harder than we ever had. And I officially hired even more full-time to completely triple down on marketing and content. I was like, all right, now people are about to get bored and it's about who they like best, not who's convenient Mm -hmm. now more than ever. And so we saw that we tripled down on it. And so we've been loud during coronavirus and we've been working, like we've been really trying to become, become a business that can do, which is the number two, which is we've taken advantage because we have a drive-through. We can do contactless ordering, but we, Combined that with, but there's a lot of drive throughs And we also dropped things like right when Corona hit, we dropped our app for contactless curbside pickup. Mm-hmm. We did, I mean, a bunch of stuff just to become the most well-marketed offensive company during coronavirus. And it's definitely paid off. It's increased our sales without a doubt during yeah. coronavirus. Cool. Has there been any other big uh, moments of opposition that you didn't expect? I'd say when we, when we opened, yeah, I mean... I would say right now is definitely one of them in a huge growth period where we're figuring out how the company is going to be structured for the long term and what we're actually going to do. And number two was when we were opening our second store or our second brick and mortar store, I should say. In Mill Creek, right? In Mill Creek. Mm -hmm. It was huge because it was one of the most intense, stressful times because it was right when coronavirus basically started. We signed the lease and committed to paying a ton of money before coronavirus hit, then coronavirus hit before we were open and we had to finish our construction during coronavirus and then get that open. While sales didn't increase at our other store right off the bat, they definitely decreased as you you know, as everyone kind of freaked out immediately. And so those first two months were definitely a huge hit on sales. And uh, as I've said, I've always, and especially at the time when I was putting everything I had into that Mill Creek store, I don't have a lot of cash to hold up a lot of employees and I had a new store coming on fast. And so I would say that was a super pivotal point. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I think you go back to just those, the skills like you talked about when your, your mom went through her health struggles that he's like, you know, I can either sit around and lick my wounds or I'm going to devil my work and yeah, it's like what's, it happen. What's, what's the alternative to what we're talking about, you yeah. know? And just like, all right, or we could sit around and cry about it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. Tell me about, you know, some of your, your marketing, I'm a marketing geek and I know that you, you know, promotion and marketing is the core of the success of thirst. And so like influencers, what uh, advice do you have about a business using influencers? Influencers are without a doubt, in my mind, the most bang for your buck, if you can do them right. I think they're also one of the most powerful that there is right now, mostly because I always give the example. I'm also a fan of running paid ads, but I think you scroll through your Instagram feed like this fast. When you see a paid ad, I think natural is to go like that fast. But when you say you see your favorite influencer, aka 
your favorite podcaster, your, my favorite entrepreneur, or someone's favorite fisherman. You literally slow down to half the speed you would even look at it of your friend's post that isn't an influencer. Mm -hmm. And that post of that influencer is probably sponsored in some type of way. That means the value in that piece of advertisement is incredibly valuable. And that pairs with it's usually cheaper than running a paid ad campaign to get that same amount of customers. So it's cheaper than almost any option and it works and is more powerful than most any option. I think the way to do it is to first decide where you're selling. And for me, it's a local community. And so that's the number one thing with influencers. If they're not in Salt Lake, they can't buy from us. So it's pretty simple. And so the way to do influencers is find the ones that are going to work. And so there's a million things that go into it. But for local, we use the search function on Instagram, see who it, see who's popular posting in the area that we're trying to sell in, and then go there. If I was doing it for some, for a online business that sells uh, like kids' toys, I would just go find any mom based on a hashtag or based on a subject or something in Explore that was super popular and hit them up that way. But we do influencer marketing super hand-to-hand. We hit them up through DM and we, we value it pretty much almost over any strategy. Like honestly, the strategy that we do when we find any influencer popping off or pretty much with any influencer in Salt Lake with a solid amount of following and attention, they all eat free at thirst for forever. Like mm-hmm. they've never paid. Mm-hmm. Like if we see someone getting popular, we immediately message them and tell them we never want them to pay again. It's specifically to our model, something that we can, our products are cheap and it's something that we can flatter people by offering it to them. Yeah. And it means a lot. And so it actually works really good, but you can do that in a number of different ways, coupons or just, just the fact also that when an influencer from Salt Lake gets a message from another human being from Salt Lake named Ethan that is trying their best to build this business and would they be willing to come by for a free thing? They usually say yes, you know, if you're actually genuine about it. And so my thing with influencers is you got to find the ones that work for you based on the things I talked about. And they're just over anything. They can drive business results to your door like anything I've ever seen. Yeah, It's crazy. And and are some like, is that are some harder to work with as far as like, they want like a, an agreement and uh, yeah, yeah I, I need this much or. Yeah. And honestly, we pass on a ton of them. We pass, and especially mm-hmm. more recently, this is my media kit. This is how much page for, I'm not against a media kit, but we just make that decision in the moment. Like, yeah. Do I think they're the most powerful? Yeah. But I don't think it's worth paying a thousand dollars for a story sometimes for depending for most influencers, you uh-huh. know? And so I valued over everything, but that doesn't mean I'll pay anything, especially yeah. recently I've learned that. I was like, I can send a text to every single person who's ever been to thirst for that same amount. It's going to do better. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes not. So I would, this is the way I would explain it to our marketing team is like, just weigh the value in every single deal. If first we always ask if we can trade something like cost of goods or anything we can do for them, cater an event for them, anything like that. But second, well, if they want to we try to align our values with or our interests with them. If they're interested in our product and they live locally and they want to come anyways and they would love to never pay again, then perfect. Let's yeah. get a story up every time you come. Yeah. But if maybe you're just don't or not really into our product, but you have a lot of followers in your community and you want to send us your media kit and you're interested in getting paid, we'll decide whether or not that's worth it. Yeah. And so usually it is, but sometimes it's not. And so it's really valuable, but you got to be careful. Yeah. And then do you ask them to that they actually talk about it or you just say it's free and we hope you talk about it? Well, it depends on the size. Mm -hmm. I think one of the ways I've hacked getting into bigger, larger 
people to like me, aka influencers, uh-huh. is not asking. Like, especially if they're really big, everyone's hitting them up. If Ethan just slides in and is like, hey, so for example, like someone who's posting in Salt Lake, if I slide in and say, like, hey, I really love your account in Salt Lake. I'm just tr- trying to become part of the community as well here. If you and your family are ever looking for something to do at night, come by and your order's always going to be on me. Mm-hmm. Don't ask them for anything. Mm. Just introduce yourself. Make it super authentic. It's all about giving for them. Rarely does someone do that and not give us something overwhelming. Like literally, I can think of a specific example of this girl who had like hundred thousand followers and probably gets hit up a ton. I went in with a very similar ask of give, give, give. I also added. I like to add things that flatter them. Like, hey, I like your account because of this. I like your strategy of content because of this. And I don't ask them for anything. And she, I remember she specifically came, did a photo shoot and posted it on her feed because I think she probably needed a piece of content and yeah. she loved that my approach, I'm guessing. And so I think the lighter approach and not asking is really good for bigger influencers. With smaller ones, we have learned that you want to get really specific and clear about what you're getting in return, and especially if you're going to pay them. Like, all right, we're talking about this specific kind of post on the Instagram a story or a reel or whatever. Combined with, yeah, of course, we want them to do it the way they do, but sometimes we'll get hit up. Yeah, we'll post about you guys. And it's really just like kind of like a mention or like a subtle tag. It's like, you know, you want to make sure you're getting your value out of it, but it can be really valuable. Yeah. Anything else about uh, your marketing or systems that would be worth mentioning or makes you unique or? The way I think about marketing, I think is pretty simple. And I think most people overthink marketing and that they think they need a tactic or a strategy, which I love those. Like I love text marketing and I love lead form ads on Facebook and I love Instagram story swipe up paid ads running to people that are getting married for my catering. Like I'm really tactical, but over anything, it's just about talk. It's about communication. It's called, that's, it's called communication for a reason. You're supposed to be talking to your customers. And I think that's the biggest hurdle or like clarity that a lot of people need to think about it of is don't think about Instagram as a billboard. You need to think about Instagram as a communication channel to your platform or to your customers. Mm-hmm. Tell them about your product. Do not try to sell them your product. They're not going to buy it right then. But communication over everything. I want to build a strong line of communication with my customers so that they trust me and that when I do have something to sell, they're going to be interested in it. And so whether so for me, that looks like having a really active Instagram page that post on our feed usually three or four times a day and as many times pretty much as we can on the story without being spammy. We have a text list that goes out consistently. Consistently, We have an email list that goes out consistently. We have Facebook groups. We have all these different strategies where we're talking with our customers and they're just different touch points where however they want to communicate with us and hear about our products, perfect. But I think people look for the hack more and a strategy more and it's really just no, just take their data or get their follow on Instagram or get their phone number and just talk to them and tell them about your stuff. They're your customer for a reason. And so I think less advertising it, more communication and brand relationship with the customer is really my highest strategy. Yeah. And it's really like a relationship approach rather than just a marketing or a transaction approach that a lot of businesses typically take, right? Exactly. It's like yeah. the way we word our captions, even it comes down to that. You'll never see thirst. Go check any post. You'll never see a post that says, great day to buy drinks today. Would lo- uh-huh. Come get it. Or yeah. like, 
Hey guys, it's hot. Perfect day for pretzels, which is literally like the type of captions that most brands used. Uh-huh. And it needs to be more piece of value. And so the way I explain it is value is either information or entertainment. Usually with thirst, we go information, which is here's the product we're having tonight. Here is the updated drink of the week. This weekend, we're having this product. This is how we're collaborating with this company. It's never just buy our product for no reason, or it's entertainment. It's and entertainment can be a few things. I like to do entertainment with like things like Thirsty Mom TV or like funny videos or reels or TikToks or entertainment can come from humor. It can also come from something looking really like a really, del- a photo is going to get good engagement if it's a really cute puppy or if it's a real, if it's food porn or whatever yeah. it may, it can come in all these different ways or if it's a really well done video, but you can't just post just to post an ad because People don't want to, there's so many people on a platform like Instagram now that that's what everyone's doing. Like mm-hmm. you have to actually have a relationship and communicate with the customers rather than trying to sell them stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. So what's the future of Thirst? Well, we're working on our, I never know which store to call this. This is our third drive through brick and mortar that we're opening in West Jordan really soon, but I'm opening where we're at right now, which is our Thirst Underground, as I call it, Mm -hmm. which I have a whole scheme for, which is basically production kitchen, a virtual kitchen of its own that is its own constant revenue coming in, and then our catering location. So it's a big location here. And then I got my two OG stores, which is Mill Creek and downtown Salt Lake. And then we're in Vivint Smart Home Arena. So how did you get into Vivint? By the same strategies, Gorilla pretty much. (laughs) They were remodeling right when, like the year after Thirst opened the first Uh one. And I would literally write them handwritten letters and drop them off cookies like three times a week. The people that were the point of contacts in the arena. And I got in with the food group there. And we've been in the only soda brand in there. Uh We kicked swing us. (laughs) 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 Been just by me, just absolutely going after these people. But it's been awesome. So we've been in the arena now for the like third or fourth year. Oh, cool. And you were listing off some of them. I interrupted. What's that? No, you're good. Yeah. it's uh, So the Vivian Arena will always be in one of the most significant parts of our business is our catering line. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's really behind the scenes, but it does not only significant top line revenue, but it's so profitable to do prepaid events that it's something we've really tripled down on. That's one of the biggest purposes of where we're at is to have a kitchen that can make these huge wedding orders. We'll have three or four or five in a weekend mm-hmm. or in a single day. And so we're trying to, our goal this year is to build a million dollar revenue catering business. And so I'm doing that. I'm opening West Jordan store. We're opening one out in St. George this summer. Cool. And uh, who knows where it's going to take us next, but yeah. we're just going. Cool. And there's a lot of effort I'd notice online. I mean, you have the Thirst brand, but there's also an Ethan brand, right? I mean, this yeah. podcast, right? What's the future of the Ethan brand? The future of the Ethan brand is to go wherever Ethan goes. Yeah. And so it's, I love the brand I've built on the back of Thirst, but I created the Ethan from Thirst brand for two reasons. The first is so that I could go anywhere and do whatever I wanted and take these people with me. But number two was, and that's the, that is the main reason. So if I can go, if I want to go start the next business, then I can take all these people that I've now been communicating with and built this brand with to go support me or follow me in this next business. But number two is I really did it as a strategy of authenticity and brand building for thirst. When someone comments on a thirst Instagram post, it's usually replied to by the owner. And you know it's the owner because it says Ethan from thirst. You click on his bio and it says Mm -hmm. that I'm the owner. 
I've never seen, I'm, most companies don't reply to your comments at all, right. much less does the owner have his own personal account. She gives insights and context and background to him building the business that you're deciding whether or not you like, but he also will respond to all your comments as much as he can. And like, you can personally message him, like, yeah. you know, and I, I'm not great at scaling that honestly, but I try to be like, I like that was a, that is one of the highest level strategies is people can, I think I have like a little bit over like almost 3000 followers on Ethan from thirst. I got a hunch that those are most of the 3000 that'll come and to the stores most days, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a lot of people. And so it's, for me, it's depth over width. Like thirst has a way ton more followers, but I think most of the core customers are following along really close on mine too. And it means, and that's probably one of the main reasons that they are a forever customer is because they know that Ethan's behind a person's behind brand itself too. So it was a strategy, but it since then turned into, oh yeah, like this is a good long-term strategy for me to go to. Yeah. And even, you know, as myself, as a, as an entrepreneur myself, like I just appreciate watching someone else in the grind, you know, and just, it's motivating to know that uh, others are out there trying to make it happen. So what about uh, Ethan, the person, what do we need to know about you and uh, what's your future like? I can pretty confidently say what you see is what you get. There's really nothing else when there's no time for anything else. I usually show most stuff like on my Instagram story type stuff. And my employees will tell you, I'm just always usually working on this. So a lot of it's what you see is what you get. But I definitely like, I am super close with my family. They mean more than my business does to me for Mm -hmm. sure. And, uh, that would be the only thing that would ultimately distract me from yeah. relationships and and the game of playing business. Like I'm never home at my house. I neglect things like my personal health probably for this. <laughs> and maybe I won't for forever, but like what you need to know about Ethan is he's just all in working on this. Like more, I couldn't be more incredibly passionate, competitive, and driven to make this thing work. At this point, like I am so incredibly committed. I don't even think anyone understands the level of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I've definitely, I punted, I've let a lot of other things sacrifice for it. And so I'm, uh, I'm committed. That's what you see is what you get. Cool. So I got one more question for you, but before I'm just curious, is there anywhere we didn't go that you hope we would have gone or a question I would have, should have asked or part of the story we didn't mention? Or? I think the story is covered. I think one of the biggest things of like that is my strategy is being a kind human mm-hmm. is definitely one of my strategies. Like I think I'm different, even though sometimes it might not show from like a first glance at my page or one of my videos or stories, than your average 23-year-old entrepreneur. You know, like I'm actually I've committed to doing this the long way and the right way, which is I'm not trying to scam anyone, trying to sell my alarms door to door to them or, you know, building a social media business that has a million clients. Like to me, I'm not about trying to get a ton of money or at anyone else's expense, at least. Like I want to get a lot of money because I feel like that's part of the game and it's exciting and competitive, but I'm not trying to do it at anyone else's expense. Like I'll, I tell my employees all the time, like it's not our strategy to do anything that's not nice. I, I think that it's a really good strategy too. It's just being in, at least in the long run is just being a kind human being is always and always forever definitely will be one of my strategies. And I hope that people uncover that a little bit once they actually really do get to know me, even though I'm a loud, like 
abrasive type kid <laughs> right off the bat. Uh-huh. And there's a lot maybe that are the opposite of this, but I definitely care a lot about people and being nice and doing the right thing. It's like one thing I put on the pedestal, even in business for sure, yeah. especially in business. Yeah, one thing I was going to ask is, how's your mom doing? She's doing good. She's doing okay. She's uh, disabled. Yeah. But from, cancer-free at this point. But pretty much cancer-free. Yeah. Wow. So it's, I think it always, I mean, they say it always comes back. But, and she's definitely been, been affected for the rest of her life, no yeah. doubt. But, you know, it's something that is like, it's making me who I am as we speak, you know, yeah. dealing with that and having those emotions and combining that with the business and everything that goes into it is I'm incredibly close to her. She's made me a ton of most of who I am, especially with the kindness. And she's, uh, I'm learning a lot from it. So, yeah. All right, my last question is, if you were to sit down in front of 16-year-old lawn-mowing Ethan, what encouragement would you give him or what would you say to him? I'd say be realistic the first couple of years and learn how to do marketing because you'll be rich by the time you're my age, <laughs> if I was talking to him right now. Seriously though, like if I could go back, I think I could have ran thirst at a profit from the start. If I would have understood the abundance that you can get out of trying really hard in marketing your business and two, being even more practical than I was watching labor, watching cost combined with being a big marketer. If you want to win, it's in that balance. I'm, I'm figuring out the balance as we speak on a bigger scale. But if I could go back, I would tell that kid, dude, you're going to be rich. You just got to make sure that you're balancing everything along the way. And so I'm glad I, I wouldn't have learned how to do it, I don't think, or at least be at the skills point that I am now. I'm still trying to get better if I didn't. But I'd be like, dude, just focus up, watch all the areas because they all really matter and make a big difference.